Welcome to Wadcast. I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town. Four years ago, shortly after I launched Wattage Publishing to help authors get their books to the market, I was asked to look at a manuscript written by Linda Latterman, a New Jersey mother who lost her son, Danny, to the opioid heroin epidemic. After Danny's death, Linda wanted to tell her story and help other families avoid the fate of losing a loved one. Her book, Life After You, What Your Death from Drugs Leaves Behind, pulls no punches. It tells in graphic terms what happens after someone dies from a drug overdose. Not only what happens to a person's physical body, but also to the people who are left behind to mourn. Linda has become a courageous spokesperson, speaking out in the media and in public forums. Her book has sold thousands of copies and saved many, many lives. She continues to receive comments and many thank yous on her Facebook page. After Linda's book was published, I wanted to do more with it and believed her story would make a powerful film that could reach an even larger audience. We now have a title for the film, 19 Daniel Highway, a tribute to Danny. We have a director, George Valencia, and a cast, David Zayas, Florencia Lozano, and Judy Reyes. The script is in development, and we have begun raising money. Our goal is to get the film into film festivals where Linda and others whose lives have been touched by this epidemic can tell their stories and make a difference. I'm honored to have Linda with me today to talk about Danny, her family, the book, and the film. Linda, thank you for being here with us today. You're quite welcome. Tell us why you wrote Life After You. Well, I, I wrote Life After You because I was angry. I was angry at Danny, and I was angry at every kid that thinks it's fun to get high. Um, I wanted them to understand that when you experiment with dangerous substances, you can die. And death is final. And I wanted them to understand what death will do to the people who love them and what they're going to experience when they die. Were you surprised at the reception the book received after it was published? I was very surprised. My, my initial target audience was ages 13 and up. Uh, the young teen group, I wanted them to... Yeah, my goal was to reach one kid just to hope that maybe one kid would think twice before they they made a very serious mistake. I understand. Can you tell us about some of the comments and personal interactions that you experienced? Aside from the, the reviews that are on Amazon, I got a lot of private Facebook messages from people of all ages. And the, the common theme from people that I heard was that the book stays with you. Mm. And it, it makes them think about what risky behavior in any form can do to the people that they love and who loves them. Um, my own therapist, when he read it, and this is a 50-year-old man, said um, it made him think twice because he liked to drive fast. Wow. It made him stop and think about what would happen to my wife if I died because I like to drive fast. Hmm. So that was a good goal for me. You know, was one of the goals was to have this kind of 
stick in a kid's head and maybe think twice. Um, but hearing it from people saying that it, it sticks with them and it stays with you, that was a, 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 an unexpected but very good response. It made me happy that, okay, maybe the words that I put will, you know, will resonate with some and maybe I can help a kid or two uh, not make the mistake my son made. And I know that you actually had people tell you that you saved someone's life after reading the book. People say that and it kind of makes me uncomfortable because that's very powerful, you know, and that's, you know, I I really just meant to, like, scare a few kids, (laughs) not, Mm -hmm. you know, be a life changer or a life saver, Mm -hmm. but that's an unexpected uh, and very good side effect of this book, so, um, yeah, I just get uncomfortable because it makes, it it puts almost a little bit of pressure on me, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, that, that wasn't, I, I really didn't know what to expect. So when I hear things like I saved people's lives, it, it's it's powerful. It's, it, it is very powerful, yes. and it's it's you, you do become speechless, and that was never a problem of mine. But I it, it is becoming one now. I understand. <laughs> I know, sure. Well, I don't have the words to to respond. I. I expect the responses that I get and I don't expect to hear what I what I've heard and what I've been told so So tell us a little bit about about your family oh we were a very happy family there was no risk factors that you would assume would happen in a family where a child spirals out of control using drugs there's no fighting divorce uh, you know things that would make a child feel unstable in his own home we were a happy normal family everybody you know uh, his, my two older children were out of the house but they remained very close with Danny we were all very close every holiday every birthday um, we have you know the kids we have a lot of cousins and aunts and uncles and grandmothers and on both sides and every every holiday was spent together every family event was spent together um, Danny was very close with his brother and his sister in, in different ways and it's devastating so I know you're a registered nurse and you would set up a home-based business when you did that was that a way for you to handle both parenting uh, and your career Oh yeah, I mean, I did. I Danny was my surprise third child, and I was always home to be with Michael and Andrea. Um, but because there's you know ten years and eight years age difference, we were in a different situation. We were facing college. We were you know we had to start worrying about the future for the older two, and Danny was still a, a, a baby. So having a home-based business gave me the opportunity to be home with my child, be home with for my family, and um, help my you know help the family financially as well. Mm-hmm. So, so many families are destroyed, I know, after a loved one dies from a drug overdose. Uh, what did you and your husband, Tito, do to make sure that that didn't happen? Oh, well, that's, that was a challenge and still is a challenge. Um, 
the first thing we did was to just promise each other there was to be no finger pointing and no blaming. Um, everyone has guilt on certain levels of, you know, how to miss it and, and you know, why and maybe if I had done this differently or if I had done, done that differently. But not blaming anyone was the, the, the rule. And the rest of the family all joined in on it, and that was something that we never did. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to truly understand that everyone grieves differently and give each other the space and time to grieve the way it was coming out at the time. So, you know, I might have a bad day and my husband was having a, a better day, so he would have to be understanding that today wasn't a good day for me. Um, and the same thing if he had a bad day. And we just, you know, always made sure we were there for each other. We we still don't really leave each other. I mean, there's very few times we go out without each other. If we go at it, almost the time we stay just ourselves and our family and um you know, my older children, they, um, I encourage them to, to go on with their lives. Um, you know, they, they were coming to our house every single night and then the weather started to get bad and I'm like, you can't, you know, just stay home. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to get used to being alone. And we did eventually. And, you know, we just make sure that we, we do stay together and we've had some happy moments in the past, uh, four years and we we were all there to uh, take part and be happy for each other. So, Linda, tell us about Danny. Um, my Danny. He was just a very nice kid. He was funny. He was loving. Um, he he was a kid that, from a little boy, he, he always talked about his feelings. He would was never afraid or embarrassed to be affectionate to his to any of us in front of his friends. Every time my husband walked in the door, he'd come and he'd hug his dad. Every day he told me he loved me. He would put on his social media, my mom is my best friend. So that's not things that you see from uh, from teenagers very often. Uh, he was just, he was a funny, sweet kid. Um, he and his siblings, they played jokes on each other. They would call each other up, send funny texts and messages to each other. He was, he was a joy. He was a joy to have around. Did you ever suspect he was using drugs? You know, I, part of me, I thought he was smoking weed because I'd see funny eyes and I thought it was weed. And, you know, I had raised two teenagers already and been through the, you know, the, whatever they did. They, they really didn't do much. So I, I really didn't think Danny would be any different than, than the other two. It was, you know, 10 years and eight years made a big difference in what was, uh, what was the definition of partying was in the world of teenagers. But I thought whatever he was doing, he would outgrow just like every other teenager does because I had no idea that we were in the midst of a huge opioid uh, epidemic with kids dying and getting addicted and in and out of rehab. It wasn't talked about. No mm-hmm. one, And I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So what happened on February 23rd, 2014? 
Oh, the worst day of my life. Um, Danny, the night before, Danny had uh, some friends over, and they they were staying up, and they were behaving, doing things that typical 19-year-olds do. Um, I got I normally wake up around 6 o'clock in the morning, and he had... Um, he came up and he said, you know, two friends were in the house. I said, get them out of the house. I'm up for the day now. And that's it. So he went to, and he took them home and he came upstairs and he had coffee with me. And the plan was that he was going to stay up, not go to sleep so that he could go to bed early and be on track to get up to go to school the next day. And we had coffee and we were talking and had a nice conversation. Um, I went about my business and he went back to his room and I just thought, okay, well that's, you know, Danny's falling asleep now. So periodically through the day, I pounded on his door trying to not let him sleep too long. And it was around 3.30 in the afternoon and his, his girlfriend came over and she said, Danny's not answering his texts or answering his phone. Now, we had a split level home at that time, so he was sleeping in the lower level of the house. And we pounded and pounded, and there was no response. Not even a, a typical teenage grumble, like, mm, leave me alone, or nothing. Mm-hmm. So we went around to the front of the house, and we were banging on his windows. Nothing. So I, I called my husband, and I said, I, I think we better break this door down. Danny's not answering. So he broke the door down, and we walked in his room, and I didn't see him. And I'm thinking, oh, why? Maybe he just, you know, maybe he'd left, and I didn't even see him leave. But then my husband saw him, and he was at his desk, but he had slumped over. And we, you know, my husband pulled him off the chair, and uh, he was blue. He, he just was un- unrecognizable. And I, I checked for a pulse. I didn't find one. We called 911, and Bedlam started from the minute the police arrived at our house. It, was, it quickly turned from a... A, uh, into a crime scene mm. and they were in and out of my house for um, hours so yeah. collecting evidence and and doing what the police and uh, the DEA agents needed to do mm-hmm. now about a month after Danny's death you wrote a Facebook post uh, what did it say and why did you write it I wrote it I wrote it to, to uh, it was really meant to warn the local families uh, look this is this happened in my family and this is what my family was all about and it could happen in yours too mm-hmm. um, so I described what my family was all about and how what kind of kid Danny was and how I he gave me no reason to ever suspect, suspect that he was fooling around with dangerous drugs and I, I just kind of said to him, look, if this could happen in my family, it could happen in yours, and, and be aware. Um, it was really meant to be a wake-up call to the local families because we were in a community where, you know, every child's gifted and talented. Every child's getting a full ride to college because they're so wonderful, and no one thinks that it could ever happen in their home and I admit I was one of them you know I I never I would have put my hand in fire that my my child would have never done what he did Mm -hmm. and especially the fact that we had no idea so it's uh the letter went viral uh all over the world I heard from people 
every newspapers television reporters were calling me but I was very sick I, I just lost my child you know I yes. wasn't up to talking to anyone and, or doing any kind of interviews and that was really you know a, a response that I never in a million years expected I thought it was going to reach you know some of the, the moms in the community that I lived in never expecting it to go all over the world but that's what made me wake up and realize oh my goodness we have a problem that no one's talking about and people, you know, the, the letters that I received from people, people found my address and mailed letters to my home. People Facebook messaging me for months. Even I still get them every once in a while mm. from people. Um, you know, every once in a while that letter recirculates, and then it'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get a response from people who never read it before. And a lot of it was, thank you for opening up my eyes. Thank you for speaking about this problem. We thought we were all alone. They would tell me the, the stories of their family member who was in and out of rehab, uh, who had to mortgage their home to pay for rehab for their kid, whose kid's friend stole their engagement ring, their wedding rings. I mean, just horrible, horrible stories. And I received letters and correspondences from people from every walk of life. There so were amazing. police officers, doctors, dentists, military. Um, you know, you, you think these are the families that are immune to this, but these were the families that were suffering and reaching out and trying to help their kids who were, were <laughs> you know, they, they didn't want to happen to their kid what happened to mine. Yeah. And, and that's... So it's now been four years since you lost Danny, but this opioid heroin epidemic has just gotten worse. Uh, And now, of course, you know, the fentanyl and uh, everything that's happening around the country. What do you see happening just in New Jersey? Well, what I see happening, and this isn't very nice to say, but I feel I need to tell it. No one cares unless you've been affected. Mm. Um, I've sat on committees, attended all kinds of meetings, and everyone who has not been affected, they're gung-ho in the beginning, and then they just drop the ball. And you can tell by our uh, government agencies, they're trying, but they're not even tapping and scratching the surface. Um, I was asked by the prosecutor's office of our community, of our county, Um, when the criminal case for my son's drug dealer was being uh, finalized, they said to me, Linda, what can we do? And I said, what you can do is let people understand and and hear the statistics because they don't put it in the paper how many uh, reversals they do, Narcan reversals, how many kids are dying. So what happens is it's out of sight, it's out of mind, and people think it's not, it doesn't happen anymore, and it is happening. Mm. Kids are still dying. People are dying every day. Yes. Um, and no one is truly aware of the alarming statistics unless you go looking for it. And that is something that I think that the um, the people who are who do collect these statistics need to let everyone know so parents do step up and watch their kids a little better. You get lax. And, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And you just think, not my kid. And, um, you know, maybe uh, the the kids that are, um, uh, are coming of age now, maybe they're staying away from the opiates. 
in the opioids, but they're still using other substances and they don't have a clue what's in them. The mm-hmm. molly, the ecstasy, all these other things, all these synthetic marijuana, kids are dying from them just as well, And but it's not publicized enough. Right, that's very true. So I know that the film 19 Daniel Highway uh, won't be the actual story of what your family went through, but certainly uh, what your family went through is certainly inspiring this film. Uh, what are your expectations and hopes for the film? Um, my expectations is that everyone who's experienced this horrific uh, situation in their own family will know they're not alone that um, there'll be opportunities in the film for kids to uh, and for people who are addicted to, to realize that they need to get help um, awareness and that somebody actually does care because when you've you know tried for years to to help people and you're talking on deaf ears uh, you start to, you, you get angry like I am right now. You get tarnished. You're like, well, you know what? My answer to you is watch your own children because no one is watching them for you. Mm-hmm. And you start to think that nobody cares unless it happens to you because I've been to enough of these meetings where it's parents who've experienced it talking to other parents who've experienced it and those who haven't have the attitude that it won't ever happen to their child and you start to think that nobody cares and hopefully this film will make people who've have suffered and whose families are suffering with with and you know having uh, their loved ones struggle with addiction will see that people do care what do you say to these families that are struggling with the addiction of a loved one do whatever ever ever it takes to help your child do not give up on them you do not want to be me mm-hmm. this is i there's no hope for me anymore when your child is still alive the hope is still there but now that my son is gone i have you know there's no hope i, I can't pick up the phone and call my son um do whatever it takes you know and there's there's so many resources out there but you have to, you know, if you need help finding them, there are people out there to help you find them. Um, the financial part of it, that's where I, I can't help anyone with that. And that's a problem that is beyond the scope of one, one organization. Right, right. That's where... But everyone has to really watch their own children. Right. Watch them. Well, Linda, uh, you are so brave for speaking out and uh, continuing to reach out and inspire other people. And I know my hope for the film is that it's going to create a dialogue and hopefully uh, bring in other people who, uh, you know, have not experienced something like this but really want to help turn the situation around. Uh, Linda's, I hope so too. Linda's book, Life After You, What Your Death from Drugs Leaves Behind, is available on Amazon, and uh, I encourage everyone to read it. Um, it. It's amazing how once you look around, there's uh, someone possibly in your life who could benefit from uh, hearing her words. So, Linda, thank you so much for being with us. Again, I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town, And we've been speaking with Linda Latterman, the author of Life After You.